The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week by all my cool co-hosts. Nate Heininger. Laura Nash. And Shane Kelly. And this week, we are talking about a game whose title I will now recite. Record of Lodos War, hyphen, deedlet in Wonder Labyrinth, hyphen. I love the trailer. Well, hyphen at the end? <laughs> yeah, well, at least on Steam there is. I was expecting another eight syllables at least. Yeah. Um, I, I, in, in various places, the punctuation of the title is slightly different. Uh, and depending on where you're looking, you may see something that emphasizes the Record of Lotus War portion of the title, or you may see something where that is in tiny, tiny text way below the words Wonder Labyrinth in very large text. Like if you look at some of the posters for this, it says Deedlet in huge text, Wonder Labyrinth, very small text, Record of Lotus War. You know, the Wonder Labyrinth is really like a 12th character. <laughs> <laughs> It has a lot of characters for a game that has no characters in it. The, this entire game is incomprehensible, but we're going to get to that. And it starts at the we title. Do, we do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I'll to... say for the title that I couldn't even I, – I, I'll say for the title that I told my co-host that this was no longer on Game Pass because it was under a different letter of the alphabet than I expected. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think discoverability may have been an issue for this game. And I'll also say that perhaps the um, confusion of its – uh, of its property uh, or how vital the license is to understanding the game also may have been a detriment for the game <laughs> for, for some people. So hopefully this will allay that concern for folks who might be interested in playing a game like this. And uh, I had a lot of fun with this. Yeah. Um, not a perfect game, but I think pretty cool. So um, before we dive into talking about, this is a very Reagan game. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. This is what happens when you guys are like, I'm like, Hey guys, we should pick a game. Maybe we should do a game pass game. Cause y'all just got, uh, y'all just got Xboxes, right? Let's pick something from game pass and you then picked crickets the game for a little the while. Day after we got the Xboxes. <laughs> yeah, but it's not game pass catalog is a secret, Laura. Y'all could have picked. I was sitting here being like, Hey, we need to pick something. We need to get something picked. And, uh, y'all don't pick. I pick some anime weeaboo BS, man. That's what I do. Um, yeah. It, so here we are. Mostly, listeners, mostly I'm pretty much cool with the fact that Reagan uh, picks like 85% of the games that I play. <laughs> um, but uh, this and this time I w- thought I was on board because this is some D&D ass shit. Yeah. Very much. Um, but uh, yeah, this one didn't <laughs> didn't totally work for me. Nice try, though, Rick. <laughs> I, I'm sorry to hear that because I had a great time. Some folks on this uh Team liked it very much, so we'll, yes. we'll let them talk first in our spirit yes. of, of good stuff first. Yeah. Well, uh, I want to set this up a little bit. Um, two things I think are worth setting up. One is why did we pick this game, and the second is why does this game exist? Um, why did we pick this game mostly comes down to that uh, thank you patrons. Uh, we recently spent some of our Patreon funds on you know improving our various gaming setups. Basically, we just bought Laura and Nate Xboxes. Whoop. Yay. Uh, yeah, so that was uh, that was a wonderful thing that our patrons have done for us. Thank you. Patrons. Yes, thank you so um, much. And that has enabled us to ke- cover more Game Pass games. How else something would I have been able to play this? Uh... <laughs> Nate, I'm sorry that this was your first taste. But you know what? I, 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 I backed this decision. I said, let's do this game. Let's do this game. It looked it looked good to me, too. So I, you're an easy target, Reagan. But I was right there next to you saying, let's do this game. It is very funny to me, though, that we both got these like new uh you know next gen consoles and we played something that like you know it looks for all the world like a ps1 yeah ps1 wider (laughs) i mean is this even ps1 this really has a has a 16-bit vibe yeah Yeah. well you know it's it's very i mean like it's explicitly aping uh symphony of the night in so many ways which i'm sure we'll talk about but um the uh the other aspect that you know led into us picking this was that uh, we've had for a while people have been suggesting that we cover the other game by this developer that's also on Game Pass, Toho Luna Knights, which is also a uh, a Metroidvania inspired by Symphony of the Night um, and also a licensed property. Um, 
sort of the Toho series is this sort of amorphous, like cross media, uh, thing. But anyway, um, both of these games are on game pass and, and it, when it came down to it, it seemed like maybe covering the newer one of the two would be the right play. Um, and I kind of want to go back and play that other one now. Cause I quite liked this. And this had the, um, D and D element that I think was interesting, whether it was executed, you know, I, it's hard to say, but, um, there's some D and D elements throughout this entire game that I thought were, were interesting or at least sounded compelling when we were trying to decide what to pick. Yeah, I went and uh, I went and checked out the anime a little bit. Uh, th- in case it's not clear, um, Record of Lotus War is an anime. Does anybody have any familiarity with the Record of Lotus War anime or any? It, do, do you ever remember seeing that around? No. in your no. anime days as a tween or whatever. I like vaguely was aware of it, but uh, it wasn't one I ever sought out. Yeah, same here. For me, it was like you know when Shane and I were young anime liking teens going to the planet anime store in the rice village we'd have to beg our parents or friends to drive us there Dude, that place was pretty sweet but they sure did charge a lot for vhs tapes <laughs> yeah man everything was very expensive and uh record of lotus war uh, at that time you know everybody was all excited about things like evangelion and nobody was excited about lotus war anymore and like the deedlet wall scrolls were on clearance and i didn't know what this show was right (laughs) um i always sort of thought of record of lotus war as like old person anime (laughs) i don't know that i conceptualized anime uh quite in that way at the time but i also like wasn't super into um it's weird to say now i wasn't super into like fantasy rpgs at the time which it was you know pretty pretty clearly straight out of the the funny thing was by this time in like my childhood, I was fully into like far nerdier RPGs that were like, um, you know, setting neutral stuff. You, you uh, were into uh, GURPS steampunk. And, <laughs> yeah, I was going to like run like a that. game of GURPS steampunk or GURPS Vikings. And uh, yeah, oh, the Vikings was, one was cool, dude. Yeah, Man, Vikings. I would I would play a GURPS Vikings campaign now. That would be amazing. Patreon. Cool I literally I mean, that that book is visible in the background on my Zoom call. I still have it oh, on the shelf. Dang, yet. I want to read that book again. I'm going to borrow that from you the next time at your house. Dear I listeners, the- I wish you could see Nate's eyes throughout this conversation. They're getting bigger and bigger. And you mean border and border. Brother. Just where is this going? I love it, though. Like, they does not know where this road is leading to. It, it didn't go anywhere. Uh, steering vaguely back towards the the uh, subject at hand um record of lotus war very popular uh but sort of like early anime boom property um it was and th- this is stuff i did not know about lotus war until we sat down to play this game and i was like looking it up because i decided i would check out a couple episodes of the anime just to be you know aware of what it's all about um so uh, record of lotus war began as basically like the whatever the eighties version of like an actual play podcast, it would have been back then. They uh, apparently at that time, at least in Japan, um, they would publish uh, like replays or transcripts of people's dungeons and dragons campaigns. And the record of Lotus war property began as that, like a, a magazine based uh, periodical transcript of a Dungeons and Dragons campaign run by the guy who later kind of became the the like author of this whole thing, who later uh, adapted it into a series of novels. It became a manga. It became a, a OVA series, like straight to video anime. And there have been multiple anime adaptations over the years. Um, it's become this sort of big, you know, Japanese cross media property. Um, but it's interesting to see that it kind of began as. Um, as a, a Dungeons and Dragons campaign, and they later apparently moved to a different system called Sword World RPG. Everything um, old is new again. I, we've got uh, we've got Critical Role literally making their anime right now. I know, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's strange to think about this being a thing that was happening even back then when Dungeons and Dragons was like occupying a very different place in the cultural consciousness. And I didn't really know that it was even something people were paying attention to in Japan in the like mid to late eighties. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, so many video games coming out of Japan in those days were very, very clearly cribbing from uh, the D&D character sheet. That's true. I always think about it in terms of the sort of lens of video games, though. Like you think about like things like wizardry or whatever, and you think about like how um, you know, American um, 
you know, computer RPGs were kind of coming over to Japan and influencing the development of the sort of nascent JRPG genre. You don't really think about what was happening in the tabletop space, which I really never associate with Japan at all. But I guess that's just because it's, you know, it's tabletop. It's not like it like, you know, apart from perhaps a record of Lotus War, it doesn't leave a, a, you know, cultural property behind for somebody decades later to pick up on. Anyway, and really yet, interesting, are. I thought. Yeah, here we are. <laughs> uh, Deedlet in Wonder Labyrinth. Um, I, I watched two episodes of the anime. For people who did not watch the anime, can you at least explain what Deedlet and yeah. Wonder Labyrinth are? What is a Deedlet? What? Uh, so uh, Deedlet is one of the main characters of Lotus War. The which only girl. Stars, yeah, the only girl. Actually, I, is that one no, person? That's from girl? the I intro. That, the first, I think just, uh, the second sentence one... of the game is, the only girl fell in love with oh, Lotus right, 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 right. It's really, that, that, yeah. Uh, there's one of them that's very androgynous, and I didn't watch enough of the show to really, <laughs> really peg them all. Um, you know, yeah. Elves. Deedlet is like a high elf. It's very D and D party like 1.0, right? So you've got Parn, the like, <laughs> you know, dude bro Parm. knight Parm. Parm. Like yeah, Parm. Parm. That's Parmesan. Right. Sorry. No, it's like, yeah. No, I think it's, it's Parm. Gene Parmesan. It, it's Gene it was Parm. me all along. Uh, oh my gosh, Gene! No, it's Parn. It's P A R N, right? I thought so. I'm pretty sure. It's, anyway, I'm sure it's a uh, uh, Parn. Yeah. Here I can scroll through because Wiki- now the Wikipedia doesn't have a, ca- no, a list I'm, of characters. I'm looking at it right here. It's Parm. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's one of those things with uh, with um, you know uh, uh, Japanese. Like if, who knows how it's been transliterated? But anyway, um, you've got that guy. You've got like a, a dwarf who carries an axe. You've got Deedlid, who's a magic using elf who who does things with spirits. You've got uh, some kind of cleric guy who wears a little yarmulke. And you've got a, a um, another guy who's also some kind of magic user. I think maybe some kind of a paladin or something. Um, and yeah, it's kind of probably worth aligning this with like the the D and D of the era, the early D and D. Like elf and dwarf were classes. Like the, there wasn't. You had like um, wizard, elf, dwarf, fighting man was a class, <laughs> uh, and it wasn't like the kind of over elaborate fighting man <laughs> yeah i i just i just love uh fighting man as a, <laughs> as a as a class but yeah so that it was pretty simple so yeah this very much reflects the like standard tabletop role playing of its day and you know I, I like i said i only watched a little bit the very first episode uh is worth a watch if you watch nothing else in that it it just like absolutely has the structure of like a single session of an RPG. They're like, we've got to get somewhere fast where we're going to take a uh, take a detour through these uh, ancient dwarven cave ruins and we're going to fight some monsters on the way. At the end of the big tunnel, there is a dragon, the end. And like it's this entirely self-contained thing that sets up nothing. Um, it's just like a D and D one shot. And then after that, it clearly is beginning to set up like some kind of deep lore about the world and, and you know, whatever. And, and, um, episode two didn't really get me much kind of tuned out, but like the first episode was very much just like a D and D one shot. So that sort of sets the tone for what this is. Um, this is not necessarily just a game for Lotus war nerds, um, of which I do not count myself one. Like I have a lot of anime to watch and this one's probably like low on my list. Um, but it is, uh, a game for people who like, uh, I pretty much say explicitly symphony of the night, not just Metroidvanias. This is basically a symphony of the night clone. I mean, th- this, there has to be some degree of fan base that is still out there for them to name the game, what they named it. Oh yeah. It's, <laughs> it's absurd. It's the worst. I think name. it's one of the things that like people people really reacted to this when this was released is like why why make a, a licensed game based on this '90s anime that people don't really talk about that much anymore yeah. in 2020, right? And um, I think that's kind of just what Team Ladybug does. Like their previous game was also this licensed thing. They've done other past games, but I feel like it. it we talked last episode just just like just recently about like the sort of doujin game scene yeah. in Japan, and like a lot of people. In you know, there's a sort of scene for this kind of thing in Japan where like people will create unlicensed games based on existing properties, and I think this is sort of in the spirit of that Dojin game scene in that like they're fans of this and they wanted to make a game and they were in this case able to work with the um, the rights holders. The guy who you know started Lotus War, I guess, was involved, um, but it has that feeling of just like 
a fan game. Yeah. It feels like just like some people who really liked Lotus war and, uh, Castlevania symphony of the night. And like, like, you know, in, in a different world, in a different era, this could have been a ROM hack of symphony of the night. Instead, it's this pretty fully fleshed out and well done, uh, you know, five to eight hour Metroidvania based on this nineties anime. That's completely out of date. Yeah. I just wonder if they like it almost, I, I think it's a pretty competent game and I think it's biggest like some of its biggest struggles is that it's like trying to fit in that world and it is impossible to tell who is who and what's going on. Um, and so I'm like, <laughs> you know, but the, the core of the game, the actual Metroidvania, the, the combat, the platforming all feels good. And so it's like, I, you know, I, I wish that they had just, instead of trying to like cram in all of these characters and make something with that, just make their own game that is not tied to a crazy nineties anime, but I don't know, you know, obviously I'm sure there, this was great for people who were fans of the show. Um, but with no knowledge of the show, they make no effort to, uh, bring you into the world. It's just like, you just get dropped in and I guess you're supposed to know all these characters and care about them. I have not played symphony of the night, but I, I've played Metroidvanias. This is Metroidvania, the Metroid for sure. I think for me, one of the things I had trouble with, I think might actually be part of the license game. And that's because that I think the uh, powers were not um, titrated to my liking at the beginning of the game. Like I wanted to introduce something and get sick of it. But I think it's because this character, Deedlet, is a high elf with three powers, and like you got to get all three powers in as fast as humanly possible. So to me, that felt rushed. I wonder if it's because that's an expectation that like you're going to have all the skill sets of this person to play the game um, if you're going to play as her. Yeah. So I, I give it a little slack for it. For me, like it, it, I like a game that I learn a mechanic, I explore the mechanic for a while, I get a new one, I layer it. Like I want a little bit more gatekeeping, even in a short game. Mm -hmm. um, so for this one, getting all three of the spirits really fast felt aggressive. And I think it's probably because that's, it's like not having the full power set of a superhero. You're going to be kind of pissed. Like, what if Spider-Man couldn't shoot webs and could only sling? I could be like, what's going on? Like, I, I'm wondering I think it may definitely be a factor. But I think another aspect is that, like, and I, you know, I, I don't want to spend the entire episode comparing things back to Symphony of the Night, a game that not even all of us have played, uh, which, you know, is a great game. I really – in fact, I've, there have been times where I thought, like, can we squeeze it in for this show? I think it would be really great. Maybe we maybe we do a sim an, uh, an episode of the short game where we only talk about the first castle of Symphony of the Night. Would that be fair if we omitted the second castle? But no, like that's part of why I wanted to do this was like it's a symphony of the castle of the symphony of the castle like mm. um, that is you know theoretically pretty short. But a big difference between Symphony of the Night and later games in the genre that it pioneered is that it leans a lot more into the RPG side of things with things like uh, like tons and tons of items with lots of stats um, and uh, and you know that that do various different things and in some ways especially in some combos can really break the game where you can feel super OP in certain weird ways um, and this game captures that and I think that's kind of part of what you're seeing there Laura is that like this game drops like tons of stuff for you to use. And it lets you it lets you kind of almost break the game by being, you know, like getting lots of um, you know spells that do weird different stuff and that let you like, you know, you can you can uh, cheese the game for unlimited money if you want. Uh, you can, uh, you know, use various different combos of spells to distract. There's like things that will let you like distract bosses so you can get them into, uh, you know, endless patterns where you can kill them without them doing any damage to you, that kind of stuff. Um, and this has that kind of feeling of like, um, uh, like, like they're just willing to throw a bunch of stuff in and let you experiment with it and not worry too much if it kind of breaks things. Um, and that's sometimes bad, but also like sometimes really cool. Um, so anyway, that's, that's, I think part of what you're yeah. seeing there is like, yeah, it just dumps all that stuff on you. And it's like, here, you know, you, you figure out your build. Laura, you called out kind of the the way that the powers are kind of gate kept in the game and they sort of the but the the thing that I have a question about here, and I'm not sure if this is a Symphony of the Night thing 
or or not. One of my main expectations coming into a game um, like this is that Metroidvania games are based around um, exploring, um, then uh, getting some sort of new traversal mechanic, and then backtracking to use it to explore more and, and new areas. Mm-hmm. And that's not really what this game does, at least in the areas that I did. Mostly it was like you'd get to a boss and then it would unlock a corresponding colored door and and you would just progress. Uh, yeah, I don't think you played probably yeah, it, far enough. It This is pretty cool. definitely cl- stuff that yeah. like, like that, that definitely happens. There's colored doors that get unlocked by a, like a colored switch that you have to usually get past a boss or a tough area to get to. But there's also things like water breathing double double jump, double jump triple jump slide um the uh, yeah there's sliding to get through small areas there's there's other stuff like that that definitely are like traversal and combat stuff that does open up new areas for you and um i don't know i, I found it was pretty successful at that sort of specific genre thing yeah what um, what i do like I, on that i think that's one of the things the game does really well is we, one of the reasons we covered this is because it's a short Metroidvania and that's incredibly rare. Right. And, mm. um, I, I think, you know, it's not that short as we, yeah. as we discovered, I think, you know, we were thinking this was more like five to six hours and it's probably more like 10 to 13. Your mileage may vary on your ability to, um, you know, to fight, I guess, <laughs> how much of a fighting yeah, man I, you are. I, I, um, but I, I know yeah. none of us uh, have completed the game. I got to the final boss, and I think everyone else got to some other various different ports. I just, like, literally got to the final boss right before we ended up needing yeah. to record. Um, and for me, uh, my clock is at 11 hours, um, which is, you know, uh, longer than all estimates I saw put it around five. And I'm not really sure who these five-hour completionists are. I, I think they must have... Either like I, I I mean I always find myself a little bit at odds with the um, the time to beat on how long to beat, um, but this felt like a pretty egregious difference to me. Uh, so I'm not really sure if maybe I I didn't spend a lot of time idling at menus. Maybe the max amount of like total wasted time I have there is maybe um, an hour or two. I don't know. Maybe um, so. maybe um, there's like you know if you're a record of Lotus War fan, you know. Mm-hmm. the the right you know the path to take and those of us who don't know you know we're all the all the great scenes in lotus war where they show you where all the breakable floors are yeah labyrinth, and you have to remember that from the if 90s. only i had watched it yeah yeah i also i i put definitely more than five hours and i'm i'm not as far as reagan but i made it pretty far into the game and um, i i did think they did a pretty good job actually of the like a really tight metroidvania where um, you know, most of the long ones that we're talking about, uh, most Metroidvanias, once you get a new double jump or whatever, you know, there's so many different opportunities to go back and do it. There's only a few in this. It's all a lot tighter. It's a lot smaller. Once you unlock double jump, you're going to go back to a couple places where you knew you couldn't get before, but it's not extensive. And there's a good map that will mm-hmm. uh, show a you very symphony of the night map. It's yeah. extremely like the symphony of the night map, uh, although maybe a little more color coding. Yeah, there's good color coding. It's all the little, you know, grid basically. And and if you've entered into a room that has a doorway and you don't go through that doorway, uh, you know, you'll see it on the map that like, Oh, there's a place I haven't gone to. Um, and if you go to a yellow door and you don't have yellow doors unlocked yet, there's a big yellow bar on the map. So once you do unlock yellow doors, it's pretty easy to look back at the map and think, all right, where, where were all the yellow doors that I couldn't get to? And it, it expedites a lot of that. That said, it did also leave me, I found myself checking the map a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. And I felt like I was a lot of in the map in this game and a lot less like exploring and more just like I was never, never felt compelled to actually remember anywhere where anything was, and I just spent a lot of time in the map, which is not necessarily the most fun, um, but it was the most effective way to play for me. Mm. I, I definitely feel that it's sort of par for the course for me with that Metroidvania's though. Yeah, like I, I, there's there's standouts like um, like Hollow Knight where I like didn't just feel like mastery of the space; I literally felt like I had like 
lived there. I live there now. Dirtmouth is my home. <laughs> yeah, like and I just know how to get everywhere. Um, but this is that 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 sort of like check the map a lot experience yeah. is part of the fun for me because with games that treat their map like this, um, there's an element of like looking at the map and trying to guess at where secrets are that I find really um part of the experience like you know you'll see like oh there's a there's an unexplored square with no doors into it in the middle of of the map there must be a secret passage into that from one of these four sides and i bet if i go poke around i can find something cool yeah um and that kind of thing like you know you get this sense of like well i bet there's something there and based on the map i bet there's a secret way into it over here and more often than not you're right. You find that destructible wall or what have you, and you find a cool weapon. And this game does a ton of that. Uh, very similar to Castlevania in that way. And I found that I always find that to be like really. I, I just love that. I yeah. love. I love finding secrets on that. I didn't realize there were secrets in that way in this game for a little while. Um, which you know, you. I, I don't know. I wasn't expecting it, and they'll be like completely obscured, where like the wall is just flat black no indicator but if you go up and you hit it it disappears and now there's a door that you can most go of them look with they've got little cracks on them so if you're if you're very observant, <laughs> no no Reagan, there were no indicators on these and uh but i um yeah once i you know realized that there was secrets i was a little more um perceptive to them but it was also funny though because um one of the, like the second or third that i found after realizing that there were secrets it was just a big ass minotaur in it and it's like <laughs> so it's like screw you dude yeah i was like oh hell yeah i found a secret and then you go in there and let's get your ass kicked <laughs> yeah, mm. yeah so <laughs> um uh so um i don't want to feel too bullet pointy here but i feel like there's some areas about this game that we absolutely have to talk about and the first is the pixel art I think maybe the standout best thing yeah. about this game, as far as I'm concerned, is its pixel art. I think that uh, Team Ladybug um, has absolutely nailed the aesthetic that uh, that was you know put to such good use in Symphony of the Night. Here, it's like it really feels like an extension of that aesthetic. Um, the the like the character models are really good. There there's really good animation. They figured out uh, how to reproduce the weird walk cycle that Alucard has in symphony of the night that, you know, I always figured it was like, he has this weird floaty walk because he's a vampire. And I guess, you know, high elves have it too. He just has, she just has this sort of like long loping movement as she's, as she's running around. Um, just did any incredible have pixel to art turn animation. off the like ghost image trail that she leaves oh, oh I, love I loved that. it yeah i thought that was oh, so I had to cool turn that off almost like right away that's another I'm glad they had a setting it, like, for it because i found it just incre- i found it distracting and and hard to tell where she actually was <laughs> yeah i i can see that and i'm glad they have a setting for it too but like it it was another way that it sort of felt very like i don't know that's just, I, I thought that was like really visually cool and it kind of disappeared into just like cool background to me after a while another thing about her movement is like she takes a while to turn around um in a way she that does. is sort of unusual um and also felt like sort of like a specific nod to like alucard's weird movement in symphony of the night because you know you you like you go to, you know, you're, you're pressing right on the D-pad and you go to press left. And it, she has to execute an animation to turn from right to left. Um, and it, it's just a weird thing to to see when, you know, most of the time in pixel art, you know, 2D platformers these days, that's instantaneous. Yeah. And I, I the D&D stuff, it, it's just kind of fun to have a game that all of the monsters and whatnot are just straight up D&D monsters. So you're fighting... Uh, you know, minotaurs, uh, like little goblins. Um, goblins are good. Uh, like dragons. Um, you know, all of them seem to come straight from D and D, and they're very well animated and and, and great to look at. And uh, that this game know. has one of the all time best mimics I've ever seen. Yes, in a video game. the mimic is great. It's it, you walk past a chest. And of course, you ne- you know, in a D and D inspired property, you never trust a chest. But of course if you not. walk past to these chests, uh, a kind of green shape will creep out of it and grab your character with this very quick little swipe and 
pull Deedlet into the mouth of the chest where it does some crunchy animations until finally it spits her back out. The uh, the fake so door is great too. The oh, yeah. like the door mimic is also awesome. You're like, why is there a door just right there in the middle? And then you're like, oh god, damn it! <laughs> Should have seen that coming. You can't roll investigation checks in this game. Well, mimics are generally not in video games, so I can forgive you for being like, <laughs> oh, it's a portal. <laughs> Laura, have you ever played Prey? I have the, not played Prey. That is the number. That is the best mimics ever in video games. That's a. Uh, that's a. Uh, what is that? Um, like a first person. Uh, 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 what's the word that I'm looking for, Shane? It's like a uh, immersive uh, sim. immersive sim. Thank you. Yeah, uh, it, from the people that made like Dishonored and and some other things. It's on Game Pass, right? I was thinking it it's is. on Game Pass. Yeah. Yeah, you're gonna walk into rooms in that game and be like, "Did that coffee cup just vibrate?" <laughs> 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 like freak out. That's a great game. <laughs> Sounds fun. Game. It's the only game I know of where you can become a mimic. Um, it's it rules. I love that game. Um, but yeah, second best mimics I've seen in video games here. <laughs> As Laura was saying before, um, we get Deedlet's, you know, essentially full elemental power set uh, pretty early on. One of the very first things that you do is you find her two spirit buddies. Uh, one of them is a fire spirit, and the other one is a wind spirit. And I already forgot their names. Fire. Oh, salamander. Sylph and salamander. salamander. Sylph and salamander. Yeah. yeah. And um, so the the way that you use those powers in game is, uh, you know, you have a button that can activate kind of an elemental power, and you're going to swap between the two. And you have two meters of energy for each of those two, uh, for one for each of the two spirits. So when you're using a, uh, you know, a fire ability, you're draining the fire bar and, and vice versa. The, um, the way you recharge them, though, is to deal damage while you have the opposite one equipped. So if you swap to the air spirit, then you're recharging the fire abilities. And uh, what adds a little bit more to this and what I thought was actually one of the nice kind of affordances for, you know, the player here is if you refill both of the bars all the way, which is they have like three levels. I, um, either one. That's just, yeah. Oh, it is either one? Yeah. I thought it was mm -hmm. both. Um, then uh, then you will slowly recharge your health bar, um, which is quite nice. And the training for this is one of the funniest things I've seen in a video game in a long time. They just have giant hunks of meat hanging from the ceiling, and you <laughs> you hit the meat enough times to charge it, and then it's like, please switch to the other power, and you switch it, and you 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 just continue shanking this giant piece of meat hanging from the ceiling. Yeah, and it's like, and now you have your health back. Well, and those are great. Uh, That's it. They are every. They are at a lot of save points right before boss fights, and so uh, it's. Uh, you know, a lot of games will do this when you're like approaching a difficult area. It's like, oh man, there's all these health potions, or you know, I, I've been how many pots are? Yeah, there? you know, I've been playing. I've been I've talked about it on the show a little bit, but uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. Every time you're about to enter into some sort of cutscene mega fight, it's like, oh, there's all this medicinal flowers everywhere. What a crazy, you know, coincidence! Like the game provides you with resources to for the upcoming fight, and it's a little ominous. Uh, you know you're about hey, to get a in. side of beef here. I'm about to run into a dragon. <laughs> well, so on, with this game though, it's it's not ominous at all. It's like hilarious. It's like why in the middle of this wonder labyrinth are like there's just yeah giant racks of unknown giant beast meat that you're just going to <laughs> wail on to get both of your meters up. Um, They're dragon snacks, yeah. Right here. Uh, but yeah, it's a. I, I this was a really cool mechanic. The the sort of balance where um, you're, you're really trying to keep them at max level at three because not only is it healing you uh, constantly, it's also increasing your damage. So the, the, the longer you can have that at a three, the better you're going to be doing. Um, and it only takes one hit to get you out of level three and then only a couple hits to get out of two down to one. And then you're back right at the beginning and you have to switch to the other element to recharge them. Um, and it's this kind of balancing act of keeping, uh, you know, at least the way I played it is like, I always tried to keep at least one at a three so that I would always have this as like a backup that I could step to the side and heal. Uh, 
But the game complicates it even more, though, because you can't really do that because there's enemies as the game goes on that become resistant to one type of damage. So there'll be stuff that do not take damage if you are in wind form. So you have to switch to fire and vice versa. And then sometimes they will have those together in like Mm -hmm. one grouping. So you have to switch back and forth. And then also if the enemy deals damage, that is either fire or wind, you absorb that damage if you are in that elemental state. So it, the whole game really revolves around these elements and being in the right one and keeping them charged so that you can stay alive. Yeah, it sounds really complicated when you lay it all out like that, but I think it's a really well-designed system because it really incentivizes you to be constantly switching and constantly aware of what type of elemental damage is incoming and what type of elemental weaknesses the creatures around you have. Mm -hmm. Um, And by the end of the game, I was just like fluidly switching back and forth, you know, instantaneously mid-fight, trying to, you know, keep both of them topped up. And, uh, and all the while being constantly healed, because if you're able to avoid taking damage very much, because like, you know, you get hit once, it might knock one of your meters out, but then you're, of course, you can switch to the other meter if it's still full and re- and top up your health. Uh, and maybe that puts you at a disadvantage in terms of damage, because maybe you're doing less damage because you're not, you know, on the, the correct uh, uh, color or whatever. But, but, you know, that, that, that might put you at this little disadvantage but if you can play it right then you can you top yourself back up and be right back in the fight um i really like this system a lot they said they were inspired by ikaruga for this and i really see it um ikaruga if you're not familiar is like a a, a top-down like it's a, a shoot 'em up a, a very popular top-down shoot 'em up it was on gamecube and uh dreamcast and i think and arcades and i think it's on steam and everything now um, but it's this incredible uh, game where you are uh, – it's a bullet hell shoot 'em up where there's bullets coming in that are some some white and some black bullets. And you can swap your ship between white and black to negate certain types of damage. Um, and it has some of these same mechanics. And it's really interesting to see that applied to a Metroidvania, which I don't think I've seen before. Lots of people have taken that sort of um, you know color or element swapping mechanic from things like Ikaruga. But like here, it's it seems really particularly well deployed. Yeah. So, um, probably the most successful mechanical thing about this game. Yeah, I think it's the thing that makes this game fun. You know, I think it's the it's the interesting part of this game that makes it a a, a good mechanical game. One thing I wish it did more of, and this is just a personal preference, but there is some light platforming in this game that takes advantage of the system as well, where uh, there will be like a like a pillar of fire energy and you have Mm -hmm. to be in fire elemental to go through it and then right after that there'll be like a pillar of wind energy and one thing we haven't said too is that when you're in wind form you can hover which is cool and when you're in the fire form you have a different uh, so like movement wise, the wind form can hover and the fire form can do a uh, both can do like a, a dodge, like a jump, like a slide kind of move. But the the fire form, your slide can, has iframes through enemies. So you yeah. can like move past um, enemies that you'd bounce off of if you were in wind form. So they both have their little advantage. And you can walk through lava when you are oh, uh, yeah, yeah. fire. And so they will do some interesting things with this where like there will be crisscrossing swirling pillars of the two different energies and you have to like kind of deftly pass through them swapping the element to to match the pillar there are times where you need to like hover across briefly switch into fire in order to get across a a barrier and then very quickly go back to hover so that you don't you know go back to wind and and into a hover so you don't fall into spikes or something like that Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed that. I always love good platforming, and I just thought that 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 like utilization of the two different elements in the platforming was at times even more fun for me, at least, than the the combat of it. And this game is like ninety five percent combat and like five percent sort of traversal elements. That's true. 
it it doesn't really lean much on the on the like platforming and what platforming it has i found mostly more of a frustration than, <laughs> than fun yeah uh, i remember a few of those hallways like what you're describing where there was like spikes on the floor and ceiling and only a few places to safely land plus you have to uh quickly toggle your uh, your element thing in order to not bounce off into the spikes and die and yeah, Ooh, those got pretty frustrating after. A See, while. yeah, that, and that's where this just comes to personal preference, obviously, because I really enjoyed that stuff, and I found the combat, while the elemental system was really interesting and and fun, like I found the combat often kind of frustrating. So, uh, well, you, you told know. me that you were using the big swords. That's your first mistake. Those are a pain to use. This game has a bunch of different styles of weapons, very similar to Symphony of the Night as well, where you've got like big overhand. Uh, swords that hit above you you've got little needle-like swords that only hit in front of you you've got a boomerang um you've got also a bow and arrow and there's multiple different types of bows and arrows that do things like homing arrows or arrows that split off into three that kind of thing so lots of options yes but i think to me it was more like i would rather have four weapons that i transfer i understand that's part of the style but i think that's something i was like hi i've already got magic and two elemental powers and like 10 swords like i played like an hour in i had like 10 swords two bows i was like (laughs) wow what is happening like why do i have all these things to do just sell it just sell all that shit yeah um it was very i understand the style but to me it was more like i it also if you die you have to then recollect everything and you have to redo like, if you I don't want to do a bow puzzle again. Yeah. If you haven't <laughs> yeah. saved like a bow puzzle, like to get a thing, I feel like there should be a door to save right after that. Right. Um, so it was just funny to me, like what the game was optimizing for me to have all of these ways to kill. And I was like, but the two buttons I started with seem to be doing just fine. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I don't need this right now. It wasn't a, um, I didn't need a da- I uh, I didn't need a dag. I, I was it worded out that the dagger was so big. By the way, the dagger was enormous. A, yeah. Oh yeah. It is a giant knife. Um, they call it the dagger. It is roughly the size. It's like two of my head stacked. It's considered <laughs> a dagger in this. Um, it, again, it's fine if that's what you want. But to me, I would rather have mastered three very different weapons than continue to collect stronger versions of 20. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does have a lot. And especially for a game that's this short, it, it, it feels like they were kind of um, uh, definitely like trying to imitate symphony of the night there where, you know, there's, I think that game has like over a hundred weapons or something like that. It's just, it's just absolutely nuts here. It's at least 15 or more swords or, or, you know, main melee weapons, and then probably a similar number of the bow and arrow setups. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, sometimes it was just sort of like, well, this is a slightly stronger version of a thing I had before. That's fine. I guess that, you know, need you keep that power curve on the upswing. Um, and that's one of the ways they do it. Maybe I just want my bow to get powered up, right? Maybe yeah. it's, it's, it's the same thing mechanically, but to me, it feels like it feels better to get your bow enhanced than to get a new bow. I hear you, but game. I love, I mean, you know, this is again, like a taste thing, but like, I love getting a new weapon that has a name and a little sprite and a description to read. Like, there's nothing more fun than like, I don't pick up like a plus one to bow. I pick up something called like grab Thar's bow or whatever, you know, it depends. I love that in breath of the wild and this one probably because there were, they felt so similar mechanically. I didn't. Yeah. See a difference. So I do want to talk though. You mentioned, I think one of the things that cracked me up the most about this game that uh, was very unexpected. And maybe these are in symphony of the night. I also have not played that. So maybe we should just do it for the show. I know that's like an all time classic game, but uh, I would, I would play that again. Arrow puzzles. It's not short. Yeah. (laughs) Are there, are there rope tricks in, uh, in symphony of the night? It's been a few years, but there are things like that. Okay. Yeah, things where you have to hit something at a distance with. I, I don't remember there being quite such an emphasis on like bouncing arrows off of metal plates. That's a really big element. Here. Yeah. It's, I was just so surprised. You enter into a room and there's like, it starts out really simple where a door is being like held in place. And if you shoot your arrow through the rope, 
it'll cut the rope and the door will fall over, you know? Um, and it, and it gets increasingly complicated to the point where there's like magnets that impact the direction of your arrow and Mm -hmm. you have to like bank shot them off of like four metal curves and aim just right. So your arrow hits at just the right, you know, series of bounces, uh, it gets impacted by the magnet. So it's curvature is just right. And it'll cut that rope and open the door or eventually like you're spinning gears and shit that you have to fire multiple arrows to get them to continue to spin so that you can get through. And I didn't, I didn't not like it. It just, I like was so unexpected to me that there's all these goofy rope trick puzzles in the middle. I I guess maybe that's why they call it a wonder labyrinth. You know, you never know. It felt like a different game. (laughs) I was just like, what's happening? Why am I bouncing arrows off the walls now? Yeah. I I, I always like those types of puzzles, so I kind of enjoyed it, but it feels very out of place. I like that too, yeah. I like the puzzles. They just didn't feel (laughs) organic, or there wasn't a reason for them to be there, and then they would just go back to... (laughs) There's not a reason for the Minotaurs either, Laura. There's no reason for anything. It's a haunted castle. There can be like plenty of goblins and imps and whatnot, but like sure. to, to like fight a bunch of imps, then go into a room that's just a bow puzzle, and then yeah. go on the other side, and there's imps again. I was like, what's uh, going it gets, on? It gets even better. There's like a Zelda style uh, bow and arrow game, like deep, oh yeah, deep in the in the labyrinth for some reason. Wow. You know, I didn't, didn't spend any time up. with that. Or you can like get coins for for hitting or, trick shots yeah yeah like yeah it's like moving targets you know that you have to hit exactly right uh and i i didn't play it enough to even really know what the rewards were i assumed there was some sort of high score element that you'd get something nice for it but i was like this yeah i was like know. i'm not with yeah, you. yeah that's same fine, thank you. there's also the yeah. full uh you know essentially craps um, like a mm. really simplified craps game that you can play where you're betting. I guess it's probably a character from the show that's like a fun, mm-hmm. like it's a the fun thief character yeah. from the D and D party type. Um, and you can his name is Woodchuck. Woodchuck. It's a best. That's that's a good name uh, for mm-hmm. a character. Stealing uh, that for my next D and D character. So yeah, you can go and play craps. Basic, you know, really simplified version of craps with Woodchuck. And gamble your money. Uh, which Something is, I found that was really funny about that was like they they seem to almost be communicating to you. Like this is something I did in in various um, uh, Castlevanias as well, where they have similar like gambling things. Where like they put a save point real near that gambling game. So of course that's the developer telling you, hey, you need some money and you're willing to like save scum a little. Go make big bets. If you lose, reset your save and try again. Right? Like that's that's what these things are for. You're you're spending time in order to uh, in order to buy money in the game, right? Um, and the developers know. They know. They know what you're doing. And here, I was like, okay, fine. I would like to buy a bunch of healing items to cheese past some bosses. Let me go. Uh, let me go spend some time. Uh, you know, uh, brute forcing woodchucks dice game. And the first time I did that. It worked fine. I, I got some money. I went to go do it. I went and saved. I went and did it again. I lost money. And so then I re, you know, I, I closed without saving and reopened the, and re, you know, rebooted back into the save. And that second time I did it, Woodchuck said, I forget exactly what he said, but he called me on it. He said, Oh, you're, you, you reset your save game. Well, I'm keeping an eye on you. And then, you know, I was still, I was successful that time. And then I went and did it again. And he says the same thing again. He doesn't. It doesn't change his line, but he continues to to call you out on on save scumming. And eventually, the game gets hard. I think what it's doing is the game's odds get worse and worse and worse as you do that. That's so funny. So by the third time I tried it, every single bet I made lost. It was ridiculous. <laughs> the only way I could win a bet was if I also made an equal and opposite bet, canceling it out. So um, that's it was, so funny. I thought it was very funny. Also, shame on you. I know. Oh, what a <laughs> Mr. I mean, Resetti is going to get you. Mm-hmm. I know. 
uh, money becomes completely like like any metroidvania money becomes completely meaningless by the end anyway but it would have been nice to be able to like really stock up on healing items early on for some of those places where i kept getting killed in hallways or whatever well you were giving me shit about the weapon but the weapon i landed on that i used the most was the most expensive weapon from the store so you know uh, i think it was yeah i actually never ended up buying a weapon um, yeah. because every time i would go to the store whatever weapon i had just picked up was slightly better than anything in the store so well i the um, the hollow sword which also oh, just yeah. made me want to play hollow knight there's been a lot of ho- there's been a lot of hollow knight discussion going in the discord too and then we played this and i'm like i just want to play hollow knight again this game is fun but i just want to play hollow knight again it made me feel the same way a little this bit is the even curse though, like of the short game yeah. Yeah. is that the long so many games, great they, games are not us <laughs> I want to talk briefly because we're getting close to the end of our time, but I, I want to talk briefly about the bosses because I think they are an interesting aspect of this game that uh, is a, both a highlight and an area where I had some trouble. And I think Nate, you did too. Um, this game has some pretty good boss fights. Uh, there's like three or four big uh, dragon boss fights, um, but there's also some interesting boss fights against like human sized characters um there was a a one that i thought was really good that was like a duel where you were fighting two big uh spirits that were also like like a fire and and a wind spirit matching your own but big and mean um the boss fights in this consistently found ways to make you really use the element switching and i really liked their you know i liked the the way they looked and they had a lot of different like you know, uh, attack phases, cool stuff where they'd move from the foreground into the background or, in, you know, and vice versa. So overall, I think the, the boss fights in this are one of the highlights, but they're also really easy to cheese. Um, I'm not sure how intentional that is as part of the design. Yeah, that was, it was interesting to me. I, I wouldn't even say I had trouble with them because I, I died way more in not boss fights from like mm-hmm. what I found to be sort of like frustrating sort of knockback and like placement and things yeah. like that. But like the boss fights, it was almost underwhelming because you would get these really cool set pieces, great sprites, and you could tell that like what you're supposed to be doing is really manipulating the elements but I found that almost all of them, I could just brute force right through them. And I beat most of them on my first try and rarely it would take a second one. And then eventually, you know, take a couple more than that. Um, but for the most part, I would be like, Oh, this is awesome. And then just go stand right next to him and just swing my big sword, you know, really, really fast. And it'd be dead before I really had to engage with its element swapping, piece that much like yeah. a little bit to 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 sort of survive but like you know they it felt like there was a lot of work going into like the element switching and i felt like most of these boss fights took like 15 seconds you know yeah i think it's it, it, usually my my approach with these sorts of boss fights is like i usually go in for my first run where i'm literally just like trying to survive and figure out what their phases are all about right <laughs> And um, so we and have so, a completely opposite approaches then because I'm like, go in there and just hit it as many times as I can before I die. And yeah, you know. uh, so I mean, you know, I, you know, I almost always die my first approach yeah. on, a, on a boss like this because it's sort of just a fact finding mission. Um, and then once I've done that, like, yeah, I'll usually try a few times to just sort of play by its rules. So this, you know, this has these these clearly defined phases with attacks that you're clearly supposed to jump around or that you're supposed to just phase through with the element switching and so on. Um, And so I, I try a few times to play by its rules and the boss fights were actually pretty tough. Um, Some of them I was able to get through, especially the early ones, the earliest ones that I, you know, got through, you know, sort of playing by the rules of the, of the, the boss fights um, were really fun. Uh, the early, like the red dragon fight, the the fight with the duel between the two, um, you know, spirits. I played those sort of straight, and they were great. And then a little later in the game, I started unlocking just all these OP spells you can use, and started totally cheesing bosses. Like you know, I try the the like direct approach and find the boss felt really hard or even kind of unfair. And then I realized, oh, if I do this one thing, then the boss becomes trivial. And sometimes it was just like what Nate was doing, find the right place to stand and hit them with your sword until they die. Um, 
The big one that was a real surprise to me and felt like game breaking to the point where I almost wish I hadn't collected it is that there's a spell you can collect in this game that lets you turn invisible, but it's not straight up invisibility. It's sort of the like classic ninja style thing where you leave a sort of image of yourself behind that is a dummy that attracts the uh, the enemies and then you kind of invisibly move around the screen and do whatever and it'll stay on screen until you run out of magic energy and there's lots of ways to refill your magic energy by soaking elemental damage so you can basically keep that up indefinitely if you're smart about it especially during a boss fight where a lot of elemental damage is floating around so for a ton of these bosses I would just drop that dummy in the corner back off a little bit get behind the boss and hit him until he died while he was pointing his weapons and you know his all of his attacks in the corner because of the the dummy um and that felt like a cheese it's obviously a cheese it's like pretty cheap um i'm of two minds about this because like that's the kind of thing that like did that enhance my experience playing that way Probably not. I think I probably would have had more fun playing straight boss fights that you know had a more uh, traditional structure and where I wasn't cheesing them. But in general, I like games that let you uh, let you either like beef your character up in order to get past a difficult boss, uh, you know, by level by uh, by grinding, or that let you cheese a boss if you discover a cool interaction or uh, or you know something some cool way to do something. I like when games let you cheese bosses. I think that's actually a really valuable uh, valuable thing sometimes. So I'm really of two minds here. Like I think this, I still had fun beating these bosses, but I also felt like I was getting away with something and not always in the like fun, oh man, I'm so clever, I got away with something kind of way. I kind of felt like I was like just, you know, hit A to skip boss on some of these, um, despite the way, the fact that it really felt like this was what the game was incentivizing me to do. Well, it, st- it felt kind of weird. It was still your choice to play it that yeah. way, you know? yeah. Yeah, but like that's the thing you like as a when you're designing a game, like you have to expect that like yeah. players will go sure. for what's effective, not what's fun. And the game design job is to make sure that those two things align. Right. Um so yeah, I don't know. Um I, I, I'm I'm sort of undecided at this point about the bosses. I think they are mostly good, but not excellent. Well, I think they're good from a design and like a visual element. You know, I think from mm-hmm. a gameplay element. Yeah, I, I think they are. There's there's too many ways to not have to engage in the system that the boss is clearly executing. Like you said, it's yeah. very clearly there's phases and shifts and all these things that it wants you to do, and it's really easy to to not do that. Um, yeah, and I prefer this approach to something like what we saw in like uh, Metroid Fusion, where the bosses. Uh, had comparatively much simpler um, you know phases and were you know huge damage sponges and it, the the whole approach for most of them was basically like a um, like a you know an HP race where you're you know trying to uh, yeah do as much damage as possible before you die um, I prefer this approach you know if it, if the choice is between like do some really convoluted thing or do the or do the cheese versus uh, there is no cheese. Just stand here and try to get out as much damage as you can before you get killed. Like I'll take this, but I, it's not. You know, I, I I look back with fondness on my controller throwing uh, boss fights <laughs> in something like Hollow Knight, where the, I love cheese. Yeah. Anyway, that's enough about the bosses. They were cool, but uh, they are they're a mi- a mixed bag. He said, getting out his. Uh, game review phrase book. Um, what what else is there to say about this game? Anything? There was a scene. Uh, I'm sorry, this is spoilers, but there was a scene about halfway through where a character gets killed, and your character reacts in a way that seems to imply that this character has meaning. And I, and I was like, who, who just, <laughs> who is that? Are you talking about, are you talking about when Parn gets stabbed? <laughs> Parm. Whichever one it was. I was yeah. like, why? I didn't know that they were on our side or that <laughs> like, there is this, there is so much. The dialogue is wonderful. It's like watching a, um, 
It's like watching the room or something put through. <laughs> oh man, put, that's rough. But put through like an anime filter, you know, where like it's just everything is over the top mm-hmm. and absurd, and it comes at you so fast. Uh, but at the same time, like completely sporadic. You'll just enter into a room and it'll do like a little TV glitch thing. And I did not hit her. I did yeah. not. Oh yeah. hi, Parm. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's like that, you know. Um, <laughs> just like, do I? And it all goes green. It's yeah. very strange. Like, do I? Wh- it is very strange. I think it. Damn it, it Carla! If you just like ignore the the plot. Like this was a game that like the 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 plot, such as it is, is character from show you've never watched is trapped in a mysterious labyrinth where ghosts seemingly sort of of characters that she presumably knows because she seems to know their names and they're probably characters from the show, but you don't know that because you don't watch the show, uh, you know, periodically appear to haunt her as she tries to figure out why she's trapped in this mysterious labyrinth. I thought they were just, so I have gotten, I have gotten to the end of the game. I don't know if we need to be, I, I, you know, whatever spoilers here, like the, the plot doesn't make any sense or difference anyway. Um, and that's kind of part of the pitch here, I think is like, if you're not a Lotus fan, you can ignore every word spoken in this game and it it will be fine. Um, But there's a lot. There, it's still a lot. Yeah, like, this there's takes a place lot. long after the the plot of the anime, but before there's some sort of like second series anime. Uh, Parn is already dead in the plot of the anime. Um, she's mourning for him, and uh, she's trapped in this game in some kind of wonder labyrinth of the mind or something. Like this has no bearing on the plot of the anime. It will illustrate nothing uh, because it is its own little microcosm. Um, if you are if you are a diehard. Uh, Lodos head or whatever. I doubt that this is going to do much for you story wise, apart from just letting you, you know, see cool sprites of the characters that you already like. I don't think the story here is going to be interesting, even to people who know the, the anime. Um, I just, it, I don't think that's really what it's for. I, you know, what was the story for Symphony of the Night? Uh, vampire guy comes to castle, fights other vampire guy. There's nothing in between. So, but I, okay, I again, I haven't played that, but for the story not mattering. You sure get a lot of it in this game, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what I'm really surprised, really, because it, it didn't seem like that much to me. It's just like a little. Yeah, bit but this is your thing. You're like, ooh, give me more of the of the story. Oh. You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's no, it's not like overbearing or anything, but like it's pretty frequent where you're going to see a little cut scene or you're going to run into a character and they're going to say something incomprehensible and then you're going to say something and they're all they're all <laughs> short scenes, but there's a there's a lot of them. At least I I felt like there were a lot of them, uh, and it was uh, you know it, it set the tone for sure for the game. You know, it made me laugh. Like it felt kind of like playing a B movie, you know, um, which I enjoy. I love I love bad movies and B movies and things like that. So I I did enjoy this element of the game, but probably not in the way that they think you're enjoying it. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I, I think I enjoyed it on a similar level to you. Like, I don't know this anime either. Like, yeah. I know these characters as archetypes, and I sort of, you know, vaguely know, like, by name what the main five dudes are. But um, that didn't detract from it for me at yeah. all. I, I know you're, you know, that's not the, I know that's not what you're saying, but like, uh, if you are interested in a game like this, a very Symphony of the Night inspired, lavish pixel art, relatively short Metroidvania that's on Game Pass, if we haven't said that already, um, then, you know, don't let the don't let the game's incomprehensible you know, licensed story stop you. I think the game still works without the story. And I pretty much ignored every word spoken and, you know, mashed a through them all. Yeah, but, uh, whatever. It's this one. I'm I'm very middle ground on on how much I enjoy this game. I think that it's something that you could pick up and you'll probably know within the first couple hours, whether really maybe even the first hour, if you're going to enjoy it, um, it, mm-hmm. it definitely probably. it gets like any game like this, it gets more and more complicated. Um, and I kind of found it more and more frustrating the deeper you got into the game, but, um, I did overall enjoy playing it and I'm glad that we played it. It's not, you know, we've, we've had a whole run of games where we've been like, 
do this, go play this game, go play this game. This game is phenomenal. And I can't give it that, but I think it's worth checking out, especially if you like action platformer, Metroidvania, um, you know, that sort of stuff. It's worth, it's worth looking into because there is so much, uh, in here and it's also relatively short, which is hard to find. Yeah. And in that hour, you're going to get pretty much all of the main powers. Yeah. You'll get both mm-hmm. elements. You'll get magic. You'll get the bow. Like that's all really front loaded. So I think that's even more of a case. If you're not sure you can run through and get all of those things pretty fast. Yeah. And and for me, like booting this game up, having being somebody who has played um, several of the Castlevania games in the, uh, in the symphony of the night lineage, um, uh, like this was an immediate endorphin hit for me, just, you know, moving this character around. I was like, ah, oh, yeah, that's an Alucard. I got this. And so like, yeah, if you boot this up and you're like, this is for me, then awesome. It's for you. Um, if you boot this up and you're like, this isn't for me, then don't think that the plot is going to get really good <laughs> towards the end and really pay off. I got to see what happens to Parn. Carla, yeah. Carla, I'm watching you. <laughs> And so that is Record of Lotus War hyphen Deedlet in Wonder Labyrinth hyphen uh, or uh, some other punctuation or arrangement of that phrase or combo of phrases depending on the storefront that you're looking on. I usually just search for this under Wonder Labyrinth or Deedlet in Wonder Labyrinth and it'll turn right up. Um, but if you're looking on Game Pass, you better search for Record of Lotus War. Uh, speaking of, this is available on Game Pass, but it's also on Switch. I think other platforms as well. This is uh, this is I we're we're going to try to cover more Game Pass games because I think people are interested in like what's good on Game Pass as a thing, uh, and a, we also just bought some Xboxes, so that's also a thing. Um, so if you have suggestions, by the way, uh, for short games on Game Pass, that is a uh, a a thing we would love to. Uh, to dip more into. So let us know what we should be checking out. Um, yeah, if you're playing on other platforms, I believe this is a $15 game. Let me check that. Sorry, uh, versions, Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, Xbox One, Xbox Series S and X, uh, and PC. Um, I played on PC. Uh, minor nitpicky complaint, the PC version shows uh, keyboard uh tooltip like images for what buttons you're supposed to press regardless of whether you're using a game pass so it would be like hit z to blank even though i was using a game pass a game pad drove me <laughs> the entire time <laughs> and uh price i was looking that up uh 19.99 on most of those platforms i believe it's beginning to go on sale occasionally too uh and uh, you can also on steam get it in a double pack with uh toho luna nights for a small discount so um give those a shot and that's going to be it for this week. So thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Short Game. Uh, you can find our show on the internet at www.theshortgame.net, which is where you'll find all the ways to contact us, our contact form, our email. You can find a uh, link to our Twitter under at underscore short game. Um, you can also uh, find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash the short game. We very much appreciate our patrons. Uh, patrons, I know we did not deliver yet on our promise of bringing you a, a video of Shane doing some dumb thing with his little ball and and uh, and string toy. Something fantastic, not Literally, something dumb. No one but you has asked for Reagan. I am I am going to abuse you. He's doing it do. now. He's doing it now. He's doing it. <laughs> I need a screen cap, screen cap, screen cap. Um so uh listeners, uh I promise I'm gonna make that happen. If you only subscribe to our Patreon, <laughs> but the real benefits we get to 100 subscribers, Shane will. Reagan, there's literally not a, another way you could have capped our Patreon. Like, <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> the real benefits of our Patreon: every patron gets access to our Discord, which is where we talk about the show, we ch- chat about what we're uh, what we're playing, what's coming up next, uh, where we uh, we uh, discuss other cool stuff like Hollow Knight. Um, and, uh, of course, you can also uh, find... Oh, and if, if you're a patron at the $5 level, I will send you some short game stickers. They are very good stickers. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's it. So thank you for... for uh, oh, let me, And uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Uh, Laura, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter, at Laura J. Nash. 
Nate, where can people find you? On Twitter, at NateSTL. And Shane, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter, at 8BitShane. And listeners, thank you once again for joining us on this episode of The Short Game.